Glory be to His name. You can turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. We're continuing our uh, sermon series from the book of Hebrews. We're starting chapter 12 today, uh, sort of. We kind of started it last week when we did our Psalm of Focus, but uh, we're getting right into it today. And we're looking only at the first two verses. They're, they're packed. <laughs> There's a lot in them. So I didn't want to go beyond, I'm, I'm really just kind of covering them lightly too. We could go into a whole lot more with these verses. But they introduce the theme that really continues to the end of the book. Really, it's what Hebrews is, is all about. But uh, it's, uh, these last two chapters exhort us. Hebrews is an exhortation for us to continue in the way of the Lord, to press on to glory looking to Jesus. Okay, that's what the rest of the book is going to show us about how to go on in that way, what it looks like to go on in that way. So I'll go ahead and with our scripture reading now, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the Word of God. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May the Lord give us clear understanding of what we have read. And may He call us to, to uh, be filled with His Spirit. May he, may he fill us with His Spirit that we may do what He has called us to do. There are two exhortations for us to consider here principally. The uh, first, that we're exhorted or urged to run with endurance the race that is set out before us. Verse 1. And the second, that we are exhorted to do this by looking to Jesus. This is the only way that we can run the race with success. These two together are the primary exhortation of the entire book of Hebrews. We have seen that this book, as we've studied it, was written to Hebrew believers, Jews who had trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. These Hebrews were Jews who had professed faith in Him, but some of them were thinking of turning back to Judaism. Because of their profession, they were ostracized by their fellow Jews and looked at as backwards and foolish and even ungodly and wicked. They had forsaken, in the eyes of those that were still following the old way, they had forsaken the magnificent temple that was renowned all over the world. And they were regarded as disloyal and rebellious to their own people. And for what? What were they looking for? They were worshiping in small assemblies that gathered in people's homes. They had uneducated leaders, fishermen and a former tax collector that were among them. They had no altar, no priest. They worshipped on Sunday instead of Saturday. And they claimed that the prophet who had been condemned and crucified because of being a blasphemer, that, they, that he 
was there, that he was the Messiah to discourage the spread of this religion that was seen to be so pestilent and blasphemous. These followers of Jesus of Nazareth were cut off from social interaction, ridiculed, sometimes imprisoned and beaten, refused employment, their businesses boycotted, and excluded from family, and they were excluded from family associations. Those who were doubting were growing and, and thinking of turning back, whether doubting if they should go on, were growing sluggish in their faith, as people do when they're thinking about turning back. They become sluggish and cold-hearted in their faith. And then that makes things worse because they no longer enjoy fellowship and communion with the Lord and with His people. And they're laboring under guilt. And then they feel even further away from God and things get worse and worse. They become dry in their souls and barren. They become critical and they become uh, ruined in in their faith. Some of these Hebrews that are written to here were on the brink of ruin. That is why this epistle was written, to exhort them to run the race with endurance that was marked out before them, not to turn back, and to exhort them, second thing, to do this by looking unto Jesus. It presents perhaps the fullest, this this whole book, presents to us perhaps the fullest and most beautiful description of Jesus and His saving work that we have in the Bible. It lays out fully the glories and perfections of our Lord Jesus Christ as the one who came to save us from our sins. And it says, you people who are thinking of going back, look at Him and go forward with your glorious Savior as He has been presented to us in the Gospel. We will look first at the exhortation to run the race and then at the exhortation to run looking to Jesus. Verse 1 and then at verse 2. Okay, so uh, we'll begin then with, with the first. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the primary exhortation in the book of Hebrews. Draw everything up. This is a call to run where? To run aimlessly all about? Or just to run spinning your, your, your wheels? No, it's a call to run to God. That's what all the faithful followers of the Lord cataloged in Hebrews chapter 11 did. They ran to God. They were on a course to God. The author refers to them as a great cloud of witnesses that surround us. They are witnesses who testify that running to God even despite all kinds of opposition and difficulties and hardship that come because they're running to God, that that, that this course of action is by far the best course of action. That's what these witnesses testify to us. Witnesses testify, and by their very lives, as well as the words that they spoke, this is what they say. They still speak today, standing as witnesses to us. There's different ways we can look at these witnesses. Some people see them, they can be seen as those who kind of, kind of cheer us on, that they're in the stands, you know, and that sort of thing. I think it's probably more the way that I've described where there are witnesses that testify to us, like, this is the way to go. This is how we're to do it. It speaks of that, doesn't it? Even as it talks about some of them uh, and, and what they did. 
Not one of them regretted the choice that they had made, even when it led to deprivation, hardship, exclusion, or even torture to the point of death. They didn't say, oh, I should have taken a different path. If only I'd gone on a different road, things would have gone better. Not one said that who, who continued to the end. God in His marvelous grace has set this race that they ran before His people in all ages. He has given it to us, His people, as a race to be run. It is a call to sinners, which we all are, to run from what we are to God, to forsake our own way and our own thoughts and to come to God's way and God's thoughts. Think of it. We who are unworthy sinners are called to set out on a course to God's house with the prospect that we will get there. That we sinners who are cut off from God can get to God. That's what their pathway is that we're called to take. To take that road, as we saw last week from Psalm 84, to His house of glory. That we may be received into His house forever in heaven. He calls us to come to Him and be warmly received when we get there. The race is a race that we must continue to run until the end of our lives if we would get to God. Okay, if we don't run, if we go on a different road, if we switch roads, we will not get to His house. It is not a speed race, but it is a race of endurance. If it was a speed race, we wouldn't have, had, we wouldn't have a chance. Noah and Abraham and all those guys, they already beat us. But, they, but it's not a speed race. It's an endurance race. It's called running because of the strenuous effort that is required. The word endurance, or it can be translated perseverance. It's translated not so well in the old King James's patience, but it, it, they understood it that way. So it was a good translation at the time. But for us, we need to say something like patience or endurance as it does in our version. We have to run that way. Uh, as we saw also in Hebrews 10.36, where we were first told that, that we must have endurance in order that we may enter the house of God. Those who are victorious are the ones who endure to the end. The Bible often talks about enduring to the end and not turning away. They're the ones who keep on going to God and do not turn away. The great danger we face is the danger of turning off the pathway that the Lord has given us, the pathway to Himself. There are many who do this. The Bible talks about many who do this. It warns us that there are many who do this. And we can see ourselves that there are many who do this. Jesus told the parable of the sower, where you have some who turn away because of the hardships associated with following Him. And you have others who turn away because they desire the things that the world has to offer more than they desire the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and make it unfruitful in their lives. So they don't care about God anymore. They're, they're cold toward him because the world has taken hold of their heart. If you have been a Christian for long, you know that many do not endure. You have seen it. Even many churches, whole denominations like the one that I grew up in, turn completely away from the pathway that God has set before us 
to a different pathway and go on a path to destruction. They continue to meet as churches. They continue to talk about Jesus, but they have an entirely different view of a Jesus that is only a man and that is only a moral example and that is not a savior of sinners. It's an entirely different thing that they talk about, an entirely different gospel. As Jesus once put it, few take the narrow way that lead to life. Talking about people going into the kingdom, not people that are not even pretending to go into the kingdom. They take the wide way that leads to destruction rather than the narrow way that leads to life. There are many pressures and many tantalizing temptations, but the real cause of our ruin is within us. And we need to remember that. Solomon said, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life or, or life, your life comes forth from within. It doesn't come forth from what is outside of you. It comes forth from what is within you. Jesus taught that it is not what comes from the outside that defiles us, but from what comes from the inside, out of the heart. He said in Mark 7, 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Now we say, oh no, but I was tempted by this seductress and that's why I did. No, it came out of your heart. The temptation was just an occasion. Or we say that uh, we were with our, we, we say that we became proud because we were so successful. That was the occasion, but the pride originated from the heart. We like to pretend that these things come from outside. We like to blame it on influences or affliction or even problems within our brain, chemical imbalances and such. But the problem is from the sinful heart. The world doesn't have a category of sin, and so they have to explain it in other ways besides the way that the Scriptures explain it. It is for this reason that our text here in Hebrews tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So do you see where I've gone with this? Do you see where I talked, why I talked about that out of the heart proceed? This is what leads us off the way. It comes out of a wicked, sinful heart. And so we have to deal with the matter there if we're going to go on down the pathway, if we're not going to go off the path. We have within us weights and sins that hinder us and cause us to slacken our pace. It may be that we have a love for ease or for security or that we nourish resentment and bitterness about our past instead of rooting it out and dealing with it, you see, laying it aside. Maybe we're ungrateful and discontent, unhappy with what God has given us in, uh, in this world. Maybe with our physical appearance, maybe with our talents, maybe with our success, maybe with our education, our wealth. Maybe we're unhappy about our society or friends, our, our spouse, our parents, whatever it is. Or maybe we're teeming with lusts, sexual passions and sinful desires, perversions. Or perhaps it is idolatry. We don't like God the way He is. We want Him to be a God that we would be more comfortable with. 
And so we have the temptation to change our theology, to change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve, serve that which we make up in our own mind. We say God is too sovereign or he knows too much. I want a God that can't quite see everything or that doesn't, isn't absolutely sovereign or a God who's not angry with sin. And we begin to adjust and change and modify. That's idolatry. These are sins that are in us that we have to root out as we find them. We have to say to God, search me, O Lord, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. If we're going to endure, we must lay aside these weights and sins that so easily entangle us. If we try to carry them along, we'll be like a runner running with bricks on his back. We won't run very well and we'll become discouraged and we'll go away. We will not get to God. Our souls will dry up and we'll be barren and unfruitful in our knowledge of God. We will not be joyful in the Lord. We will be miserable in our service to Him. And it will lead us off the pathway. We, we will, or, or else it will lead us into some superficial faith that is also off the pathway. So what is important to you? You need to examine yourself. What are these weights that are hindering you in your walk? Is your walk with God the important thing to you? Is communion with the living God the thing that is important to you? Getting to God? Is your, are your brothers and sisters in the church important to you? Going on and on to God, is that important to you? Are you living for His glory? Or is your real purpose for living something different than that? Do you have little regard for these things? Perhaps you have little regard for anything. Maybe you're a shriveled up soul who is withering away. Because you're despairing of everything and of life and you're just like, like shriveling up. You've got nothing that you're really about. Or perhaps you have regard for the world and you're excited about what you could get out of this world. You are more passionate for pleasure or success or for romance or for pornography or for security, impressing other people or all of these things than you are for the things of God. If this is so, yours is a sorry state of affairs. If you are on the path, you won't be there for long on the pathway to God. Think of the horror of turning away from God and meeting Him that last day as an angry God instead of a welcoming Father, as a judge that sentences you to depart from Him to the lake of fire forever when you might instead have come to His house of glory forever and ever. Oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. If you can see, if you can look at yourself and you can see that you're not running well, you're not running on this pathway to God, just not able maybe, not interested maybe, whatever your issue is, I would like to show you how God's Word tells you to go on that pathway. How can you who struggle on this pathway, how can you go on that pathway and stay on that pathway? You have to lay aside every sin and weight as we saw that so easily ensnares you and run with endurance the race that is set before you. But there is only one way that you can do that successfully. And that is right here in our text. 
How can anyone do that? By looking unto Jesus. That's what it tells us. That is the way. He is the way. There is only one way to run that race in order to make it to the end. And that is by looking unto Jesus. That's what Hebrews is all about. People that were thinking of not looking unto Jesus, they would be ruined. You must run the race looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus is what this book is about. It is about Jesus, the glorious Redeemer that God has provided to save His people from their sins. Hebrews tells you to look to Him. Do you remember where this book starts? It doesn't even have an introduction. Everybody wonders who wrote it. <laughs> it doesn't have an introduction. It just starts right out with Christ. That God, who in various times, various ways, spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, by whom He made the worlds, who is the heir of all things. This is Jesus, the appointed heir of all things. He, he is the one who obtains God's house and gives it to His people. He obtains it in our behalf. And here, in this concluding two chapters, it starts off with this call to run the race with endurance, looking to Him. All the way through, it's been telling us about Him and to look to Him. I want to show you three ways that you are to look to Him. First, you must look to Him as the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who is sent to bring the whole church from sin and death into God's house. Anybody want to attempt to do that themselves? We cannot possibly do that. Here is this great church, people that God called out to salvation, to be appointed, called to run to Him, but we're all ruined by sin. We're dead in trespasses. We can't run to God. How can we do that? How can we go to God and be accepted there? We have no way in ourselves to break through the barrier that sin has put between us and God and then come to Him. We, we can't do it. We are cut off because of sin and defilement. Yet from the beginning, God promised that He would send us a champion. One who would go ahead of us and break through those barriers to God in our behalf for the whole church, who would lead the whole church to God's glorious house. A son born who would redeem us. A son whose name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of whose government there would be no end. He would break through the barrier that sin has put between us and God and open the way for us to go to God. He Himself would be the way for us to come into His house that we might live forever and ever. We have to look to Him. You can't look to yourself. That is why He is called the author and finisher of our faith here. As the author and finisher of our faith, He's the one that made the way to God. There was not a way until he established that way. He's the author of that way that we trust in and that we go upon. The author suggests that he was the pioneer. 
In Hebrews 2.10, we ran into this word. He was called the captain of our salvation who is made perfect or made all that we need him to be through sufferings. Captain, you remember when we looked at that? It's the same word here, author. It speaks of one, we said, who blazes a trail for his people to go behind him, going places that they can't get through, he breaks through, and then they can come behind their captain, behind the author of this way, that his trail that has been made. Later on in Hebrews, he is called the forerunner, who has done what? Who has entered into the holy place, into the very presence of God behind the veil. What does that mean? He's gone directly to God as a forerunner means that he's got other people that he's opened the way to come with him. A forerunner goes to bring other people behind him. He is the one who made it all the way to God in glory. So this is the goal of the race, isn't it? What we said, to go to God, to get to God. He attained the goal. He has reached perfection, the end of the way for all of us and we go then in him and with him, the author of our faith. Now, perhaps you can see from this why he is also called the perfecter of our faith. We've run into this word perfect or similar words over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews. It's uh, telos, uh, tele, it's all kinds of different forms in the original language, meaning a goal, an end, the objective, where we're going. That's the whole thing, you see, that we're going down the pathway. What's the, it's, it's to get to God. And Jesus has reached that in behalf of the church. He was made perfect through sufferings. So we have seen that it speaks of reaching this goal that God has for us as His people, coming to Him. And we see that Jesus is the one who made it. He attained. You can see how it tells us in verse 2 that He reached the goal. Look at the whole verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He had to go down a very rocky road and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There he is, the forerunner in the very presence of God there to pull us and bring us all with him. He got there. He is seated there. He broke through the barriers that sin had put between us and God. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the champion. He is the son of God. Looking unto Jesus, that is what we do. If you try to come to God some other way, if you get off the path that he made, you're not going to get there. You can't carve another pathway to God. It simply will not work. Jesus is the only one who is able to get through and his goal is to bring, and he does bring, the whole church with him into the house of God. Not the hypocrites in the church, the chaff that's judged and blown away in the day of judgment, but those who are the true wheat, the true seed. We run to God, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who made it to God and who brings the whole church to God. Without him, we have no way to come. But this is not the in the only way that we're to look to Him. I might say even that that is the principal way. That's the main way that we're to look to Him. But there's more. There's definitely something that's emphasized in this passage. 
The second thing, you must look to Jesus as your example of how to run to God. Now, before I explain that, some of you might have a question for me. You'll say to me, you just said that we cannot come to God, but that we look to Jesus to bring us to God because he is the one who opened the way for us. Now you're saying that we still have to run to God. So which is it? Do we have to run to God or did Jesus run to God for us? Which is it? It's both. <laughs> Let me explain. It's a good question. The running we do is not the same as the running that Jesus did. His going to God was to bring the church to God, the church that was guilty and defiled and lost in sin. But even though we go with Him and go in His merit, we still have to go there. In other words, He broke through the way that we can't break. We can't deal with our sin. We can't deal with our sinful heart. All these things. We have to come to Him and rely on Him for that. But we have to come to Him and rely on Him and go on with Him to God's house. If we don't come and go on with Him, then we're not going to get there. It's not that we have to do what He did. He did all of that that we cannot do. But we have to stay with Him. If we don't, if we, don't we go off the way, we won't end up in God's house. See, that's, that's the way that it works. So, listen carefully to what I'm saying. One running with endurance means that we run to God clinging to Jesus. Our running, our running with endurance means that we run to God clinging to Jesus, looking to Him all the way as the Redeemer who saves us. The enduring we must do is going to God by Jesus to the end of our days with faith in Him as the one who opened the way for us to come to God, still trusting Him as the years go on. If it were up to us to open the way, to pay for our sins, to change our sinful hearts, it'd be a hopeless endeavor. But it is for us to look to Him to do that. And then we're sure of getting there. We make it to God's house, not by breaking through the barrier of sin ourselves that separates us from God, but by trusting Jesus who has accomplished that in our behalf. Okay, so how does Jesus' example then help us to endure in the way that we are called to endure? Well, first learn from Jesus that you must focus on the joy that is set before you. That's what it says in our text, isn't it? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him. That's the thing that's promised to him. We read it in Isaiah 49. You can read it in Psalm 2. You can read it in Psalm 110. You can read it all over the place in the Bible. The joy that Jesus had of bringing the whole church, both Jews and Gentiles, into the presence of God, into His glorious house, to live with them there forever and ever, to behold the glory of God and the beauty of the Lord in the house of the Lord. What we sang about this morning. The prospect of bringing that about was so delightful to Jesus that it made him willing to bear the cross. To even bear the cross. The cross which was more heinous and offensive to him. To bear the, the shame and the wickedness of our sin. That was worse for him than we can even imagine. We're, we're comfortable enough with sin that we commit it. He detested sin. And yet, he bore our shame on the cross because this joy that was set before him of redeeming us and bringing us to God's house 
was so elevated to him. It, it was so, it so captivated him that he, he was ready to go down that pathway and do anything that needed to be done in order for our salvation. It is a beautiful picture. On the cross, he bore the shame and guilt of our sin, as we're told in Isaiah 53. All of our iniquities were laid on him. Jesus, who hated it so much, did this because of the joy and the prospect of bringing a people that were lost and ruined into God's house. His love for us, His love for the Father drove Him along. Now those who do not endure do not focus on the joy of coming to the Father to live in His house. I talked to you about how delightful the Father's house is last week. What's something you think about? Because if you don't think about that, it's going to be kind of dull to you to be on the pathway to God's house. Remember, I, taught, I described him to you. He is a welcoming father. The kind of father that is lovely. A father who's delighted to see you. A father who sings for joy over us when we come to him. When we repent of our sin. He, he actually said to sing over us. And we're told that all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. His is a house where we will see His excellent majesty and glory. His love and beauty. His power and wisdom. It is a beautifully ordered house. Think about the Queen of Sheba when she saw Solomon's house. And she said, how blessed are your servants who live here. And she saw the beauty and the order of all that went on and and the delightful way everything was was structured and, and organized. It's a place where there are pleasures forevermore, we're told. We can't even begin to imagine how glorious it would be. We need to meditate on our Father's house. We ought to consider it often as we run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you don't have the prize in mind, if you don't have the goal in mind, then you're going to be starting to love the things of the world more than you love the kingdom of God. If we don't have any regard for it, we won't run well. Jesus ran well. Why? Because He kept the prize before Him. He said that His Father's face was always before Him. As he went through all the death and sufferings and everything that he went through, he was was going to the house of God and bringing his people with him. That's why he endured the cross. Read the Gospel of John and you can see how before he died, he talked about this all the time. Some of you will read it with that in mind. You you get to John 17, it's kind of a climax there. He he speaks of the, the wonderful prospect of seeing us, seeing Him loved by the Father and Him loving the Father as He's done for all eternity and us being there involved in that whole circle of love. It's, it's beautiful. And before that, John 14, John 15, John 16, He says, I'm going to my Father. I'm going to my Father. He's so, this is, this is pushing Him. It's moving Him along to go to that cross. Okay, now let's look at the third way that we ought to look to Jesus. The first was to look to Him as the author and finisher of our faith, the one who brings us to God. The second was to look to Him as our example of how to run with endurance. And the third, we should look to Jesus for strength to run with endurance to the Father. He not only made the way, but He strengthens us in our weakness to go in the way. If He didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to stay in the way. You can't go, you can't even stay in the way in your own strength. Even though he did all the hard work, he did all the heavy lifting, you can't even go along. 
keeps you. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last day. It is by His grace that we go on. We learned in Hebrews 4 and 5 that Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest who sympathizes with us in our infirmities, in our weakness. We learn that He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He understands temptation better than any of you do, because if you ever endure temptation, you know that it gets stronger and stronger. So He had more temptation than anyone, because He never gave in to it. Jesus had, he knows how hard it is to be exhausted as he was when he was going to the cross and to be falsely accused and to be charged with all kinds of blasphemy and then to bear the penalty and the shame of the sins of his people that he did not even commit. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to be physically abused and tortured. But he does not look at us and say, well, I had it a lot worse than you did. What's your problem? No, he looks at us as a gracious, loving, tender high priest who rather remembers the struggle and the suffering and then thinks of us in our struggle and wants to reach out and minister and does reach out and minister to us in all of our trials and struggles. It is a very beautiful thing. I hope you remember us when we looked at that back in uh, earlier in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and 5 where it, it talks about that. You know, he, he identifies with the pain and the suffering and has compassion on us. He sees us struggling to endure when we are plagued with trials and temptations. And he sees us, not like him, sometimes giving in to those temptations like, like Peter did. But as soon as we cry to him, indeed often before that, he helps us. If we look to him for help, he finds our cries irresistible. Remember that in Song of Solomon when he was disciplining his bride and he was holding off from her and she was going out looking for him and crying out and he said, I can't deal with it anymore. And he had to go. He had to go and minister to her. In Hebrews 7.25, we're told that as our merciful high priest, he ever lives to make intercession for us. We have a beautiful picture of that with Peter that I just mentioned to you when Peter denied Jesus. Jesus told Peter, even before he did that, he was going to do it. Peter didn't think he would. But he said, I have prayed for you. That's intercession. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And though Peter sinned, his faith did not utterly fail like Judas. Peter, yes, he stumbled in the way, but he did not leave the path. He came back on the path. He repented and he went on because Jesus kept him by his power and grace. He went away for a moment. But he didn't utterly go away. The seed of faith was still in him. He was ready to be inflamed again and restored again. When you have sinned, he is there with his sacrifice to pardon you. Don't stay away from him because of pride or embarrassment. That's the most foolish thing you can ever do. Don't stay away because of pride or embarrassment. Confess your sin. Go to him with your sin and you're, and, and come to Him for mercy. Seek mercy. He ever lives to make intercession. You cannot lay aside those sins on your own. You need to confess those sins and look to Him for forgiveness or you'll be clinging to you. You have to come, they have to be cleansed through faith in His blood. You will not be able to run carrying those sins. 
There are weights that will beset you that we looked at before. You will soon start to doubt God if you try to carry them, if you ignore them, if you don't deal with them. And soon, the next thing you know, you'll be on the road to destruction instead of the road to the glory. You won't have any interest in God anymore. And off you will go. Run looking unto Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus is eager to help, but He does not wish to do it anonymously. He wants you to come to Him looking for help. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you're struggling, he, He's not that interested in just coming and zapping you back on track. He wants you rather to be broken and to cry out to Him so that when He delivers you, you know that He did it. If He just automatically sets you back, then you don't realize He did it. This is why prayer is so important. He's sovereign. He's got it all planned. And His plan includes that if we're going to receive these blessings, it's through crying out to Him. He wants us to have communion with Him in receiving this strengthening, this enabling grace to go on down the pathway. So don't be too proud to pray. Don't ignore that you need to pray, that you need to cry out to God, that you need to call on Him. Go to Him and He will hear you. Jesus is eager to help. When Jesus left this world to go to the Father, He assured us that it would actually be better for us than to have Him still here. I'm sure the disciples were thinking, how is that? that they could just go to Him? But you had to find Him. Sometimes He was out praying somewhere. They didn't know where He was. But He said, it's going to be better for you when I go away. In John 14, He said that He would not leave them or us as orphans, but that He would send the Holy Spirit who would be with us always to help us. He said that He would be able to ask the Father, or that we would be able to ask the Father for things in His name, and that the Father would hear us. He said, the Father and I will come to you. You know, not just to ask for anything, but when prayer is about what we're talking about here, about enduring in the way that God has set before us to go to His house, and the trials and the struggles and the temptations that we have he will hear us when we ask Him concerning those things. You're, you're certain to be heard when that is your prayer. Likewise, when you see the church struggling, you're your brothers and sisters struggling, what should you do? You should also go to Him who hears, who said that He will hear you when you cry out to Him. Maybe it's your, uh, your own spouse that's struggling. You see them struggling to run the race with endurance. Look to Jesus to help the church, to help your brothers and sisters, to help your children. Look to Him for the grace and strength to go on, and you will find mercy. Next week when we have the baptism, we're going to be particularly talking about that with our children. How we need to intercede and look to Him for grace when we see our children struggling on the way. And to bring them back to the way, to call them back to the way and encourage them and pray for them and that as we go on. So brothers and sisters, today we have seen the primary exhortation of Hebrews. Pages were devoted in this book to set before us the superior saving work of Jesus Christ, who alone can bring us to God. So here in this last part of the book, we have this final exhortation to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. And in the two chapters that we have here, we're shown what that looks like. As we move on through these last two chapters, we will look at what a life running to God with endurance, looking to Jesus, looks like.
pray that God will bless us as we do that. Please stand and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, how we praise you that you made a way for sinners to come to you. It's a way that you promised very early on when we fell into sin and unrighteousness in the very beginning that there would be a son who would crush the serpent, a son who would himself have his heel crushed by the serpent, a son who would have a people that were, were brought out to, from the uh, way of Satan to turn against Satan and to come back to you. We thank you, O Lord, that you have fulfilled what you promised through the ages and that in these last days, 2,000 years ago, in fact, that your son came in that period of time that was called the last days when the Messiah would appear. We thank you that you have spoken to us in these last days by your son and that he is made heir of all things, that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high until all of his enemies are made his footstool. And Father, we come to you trusting in the one that you provided for us. We don't want to go on a different pathway. We can't come to you on any other pathway but this pathway. And we pray that we would stay on that pathway, that we would endure until the end. Hebrews is so powerfully exhorting us to do this. And Father, we know that those, only those who endure to the end shall be saved. So we look to you, O Lord, for the grace that we need to go on and on and on with Jesus until the end, till the end of our days. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to go in our own strength either, that he is the one who enables us, and that if indeed right now we have truly come to him and we are truly trusting in him, that we can be certain that he will keep us to the end. He will not let us go astray. He will call us back like he did Peter, and not as Judas, who is not truly one of his own. Oh, Father, we pray that we would make our calling and election sure, that we would lay aside the sin and weight by His grace that would hinder us and beset us, and that we would run with patience the race that is marked out before us, run with perseverance and endurance. We thank You so much, Lord, for what You have given to us in our Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in Him. Oh, Father, make us glad disciples who see the glory of Your house, that we would look upon the joy that is set before us, the coming into, that, into your presence in a place of righteousness and peace where we can delight in a welcoming, loving, gracious, beautiful, powerful, majestic Father who runs the house with such beauty and such grace. Oh, Father, how we look forward to what is before us. We can't even begin to imagine what the whole will be like, but we know that it is glorious, and we praise you for giving us that hope May we nurture that hope. May we mature that hope. Father, the world is constantly bombarding us. We think of Proverbs where the seductress is there presenting herself and saying, come and fill yourself with pleasure and delight in my house. But we praise you that wisdom calls us to another house that is a house where there are true pleasures forevermore and not deceitful pleasures that will only disappoint and ruin us. Father, we pray that we would be clear about that we pray for those among us, Lord, who are not clear about that at this time. There are those who are struggling in the way, those who have even deviated from the way and who've turned from the way. We pray, O oh Lord, restore them, O oh Lord. Awaken them to the truth and open their blind eyes that they may see the glory of your house 
and that they may run with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the Father. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Bless us as your people, for you are our God and our eyes are upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord our God, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people according to all that he promised. There's not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.